so a very good day to everybody. Our date is the 24th of October 2022 and it's a beautiful day here on the Costa Blanca in Spain. Now today I'm going to talk to Matt King who uh, is an old colleague of mine from a radio station which has come and gone but uh, down in Altea La Vieja is I think where uh, Matt will be based and uh, I'm just going to quickly say good morning to you Matt, how are you, what is your weather like and have I got the location right? You are spot on as you usual, young Vincent. It is, it's beautiful out here, actually. It's, it's not as hot as it has been, but it is definitely a, a nice day, and it is at Altea Vea. I'm sitting looking out through my window at the sea, and it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Well, uh, an apology is due because uh, I should have done this a long time ago. Um, I explained to you before we began this uh, probably the reasons why I've not been in touch as quickly. Um, But uh, it's long overdue and we worked together at a radio station uh, just outside really of Benidorm is probably a good way of letting you know on a map where we were. Um, And of course, uh, we used to joke that uh, Vince the Prince used to pre seed matt king so we we have got royalty in our blood Absolutely. <laughs> listen i didn't really know you before that particular um uh, radio station and of course i don't know whether even you knew that i was on a radio station called on the so let's put that one right first um how how did you actually get involved with uh, fab fm sorry um Big FM, sorry. I'm thinking about how did I get involved with Big FM? Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's quite a good one, really. I think it was through uh, a colleague of ours, Bob Hodge, who I knew um, vaguely. And I think he was set up as the manager of the station. I knew him, and he said to me, Had you done any radio presenting before? And of course, back in the day, I'd been a mobile DJ and had a a quite a a big mobile uh, setup. When just after I finished university and just uh, uh, just for the f- couple of years, and uh, Bob said to me, "Would you come and do a show for me and just have a try and see how you get on?" And so that's how I started, um, and that was I think that was Big FM because there were two or three of them very quickly in succession, one after the other, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. Um, I got involved with another one, Fab FM, and then we got all sorts of different messages that we shouldn't get involved, which I didn't then. Um, So, realistically, um, if we concentrate on uh, Big FM and, of course, Bob Hodge, who uh, came in as a guest on many times at uh, the Undertherer Radio, which, of course, was a really big station really on this particular coast uh, it's a national company for Spain and I, I was never sure who'd actually listened to the programs I did uh, and if they did did they enjoy them because that's always another worry isn't it well it, you, you never sometimes you, you are it's a, it's a blank day let's call it put it like that you, you don't get much interaction from people and actually if you think about it it's their day-to-day routine they're listening on the car they might be just doing housework they might be doing something but I, I like you used to wonder if anybody was listening and then somebody would stop me in the street and say wow fan- fantastic music you played the other day I really loved it and it sort of brightens everything you sort of think well but on the Thero that was 
I, for me, that was a, I didn't understand at the time why it stopped like it did, I suppose, financially, or because it moved out of Altea, didn't it, I think? Well, I can tell you the, the, the story at another time, but basically the parent company was um, involved in this. It was a, um, a move, really, to use the station for a younger audience, but it's exactly the same setup, but they were just playing music rather than uh, put something out for the expat community and of course we were two stations joined together one down in Marbella uh, and the area manager came from Marbella so when he went down uh, sorry he went up to Madrid to produce the set of figures and they made the final decisions he's not going to make Marbella look um, worse than <laughs> Altea no, absolutely not no, so, I can see that although yeah. I can see it, but I don't necessarily agree with it, of course, because well, I live up there like you do. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I mean, the thing was, um, I've got tons of stuff that um, I recorded and um, I had found on the mainframe computer where all the re- all, all my programs were stored. So as I started podcasting, I was able to go and uh, get all the, the programs that I had been doing. And uh, a big, big part of my show was the phone in from the public. Um, so really, I do know that uh, lots and lots of people who I still meet out and about had uh, their reasons for phoning in and they were I used to always try and make them into sort of mini celebrities because they were good enough to phone into my show and make my show stronger so that's the way I felt about it well I think that's an absolutely brilliant way of looking at it and uh, and I think that it's what the radio's missing at the moment a, a proper interaction show um Okay, you can call in and request for a a radio uh, a song on a radio station, um, and that's where it ends. Really, there's nothing. There's no interactive radio that I really know uh, any programs that I know of yeah. that I, I can I can listen to. And I used to really enjoy that interactivity yeah. that you used to have on the show. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, look, um, the the overlaps are amazing, really, because uh, you and I are both qualified as teachers. And uh, when I was 19 or 20, I can't remember the actual age, I went to St. Mary's at Twickenham, which is the college that you qualified through, through the university uh, and that particular part of the university. Um, You know, I went down from Liverpool to London um, and they told me, uh, in fact, I was quite Uh, saddened by the fact that the priest that interviewed me didn't even really look at me Um, I'd just gone (laughs) I'd been and done all my um, fitness tests and I'd come out with flying colours and then you know he just sort of glanced at me and said you've only got four O levels uh you'd have to get another another one uh, and i mean oh, ba- that's, that was that must have been so disappointing to have done that and de- decided that's where you wanted to go yeah. uh, unfortunately education was a bit like that in a way however i think if you'd have tried it was three or four years before that they were literally accepting anybody with one O level because teaching was such in, in such short supply. Teachers in such short supply at that particular time. Um, that's what they did. And you must have been trying to get in just as it had raised, the bar had been raised a little bit because. Uh, Definitely four O-levels would have got you in before. Yeah, and of course the thing was there was no such thing as a sports uh, GCE or GCSE. No, not then. So, yeah, I I mean, the thing is, I I don't look back with anything other than just a a little bit of disappointment because, um, you know, as I said, it was 
six when I actually went to college and did my degrees and everything. But um, let me just ask you about your experience then at St. Mary's, um, because, uh, you know, obviously, were you of the sort of normal age that you go into the colleges and, and do your studying? Well, actually, I wasn't. It's a little bit of a story, but I won't go into it in too much detail. But I left school at 18 with uh, four A-levels, uh, maths, pure maths, applied maths, uh, pure and applied maths, physics and chemistry. Wow. And they were my A-levels. And uh, I went, I wanted to act. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be on stage and act. And uh, I got into RADA. Uh, at the time, my father... Uh, wasn't having any of it. Um, it was he was very old-fashioned, very staid. Uh, his son was not going to be gay, and that's the way he he thought of actors. <laughs> and it's terrible, shocking, even probably nowadays. But that was the way it was. And I respected my father, and I grew up in a household where what he said was the rule. And then, uh, so I said to him. He was an estimator builder, so he worked for a big, big building company. In fact, we moved to Australia when I was 10 uh, because he worked for Wimpy, the big constructors, and yeah. he was uh, recruited by them and moved over to Australia. So I have a bit of experience about Australia. But uh, because he worked in construction, I said, right, I'm going to be uh, a surveyor, a quantity surveyor. And he said, no, no, you're not going into that. It's a dreadful business. So because of the, the little bit of argument we had with each other, I said, no, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I did. And I got a job with John Langs, who were a very big company at the time as a trainee apprentice uh, surveyor. And I did that for three years, two years, two years, two and a bit years. And I ended up hating it. Office bound, up and down the stairs, checking out rocks that they found in the floor, measuring them up and then putting them up to the bosses. And the only good thing about it was that I actually had... Uh, a job out of 782 people, I had a job and a director's son had a job. And Langs were renowned for their courses, their internal courses, where they put people onto using a secretary, using uh, filing systems, whatever. There, there, were, there were dozens and dozens of internal courses. And I used to get on these, so I'd be away for three or four days every month and my boss went absolutely ballistic. He was saying, oh, well, why are you getting all these? Why are you getting all these courses? He said, I've been working for 25 years. He said, I've done half of the courses you've done in two years. And it was all because um, the director's son was going on them because he was being pushed up the ladder and they couldn't have se seen to be unfair. Anyway, two years went past and I said to the training manager, listen, I don't want to be a surveyor. <laughs> And he said, but we've spent all this money on you. We've done this. I look, we'll send you to university if that's where you want to go. And I really wanted to go to University of St. Mary's, particularly because of the rugby. Um, and it, it, as you know, I played rugby uh, for London Scottish for many years and uh, had a good rugby career in the first team. Um, and that all came from St. Mary, going from St. Mary's, really, because the rugby team was a really good team there. And I wanted to go there for the sports. The sports science was fantastic. So I combined it with maths as well as sports science. And I did my degree there, uh, eventually left Langs, um, and they really couldn't understand why I'd want to leave. It was incredible that anybody would want to leave Langs. Mm. Um, so I went there, did my three years, and then I did a year's PGCE. And I was so lucky that at the, during the, the PGCE, as you know, you have to do uh, 
three set three schools yeah. to, to do your training at. And one of those schools was a school, I won't name it, but it was out by the airport in uh, Heathrow. I lived in Hounslow at the time. And it was, it was an amazing school in a way. It was only up to 16. And so you didn't have that hierarchy of, of boys at 16 to 18, which actually, in my opinion, educationally, really makes a huge difference to how somebody leaves school. If you've got those peers above you that are controlling you, if you like, teaching you how to act at 16 and 17, then you actually become more mature. You're, you're matured easier than when you leave. Um, your, expe your expectations are better. When you leave at 16 years old school, you have no no real control, only the teachers. And life, is, as you know, isn't like that. So that was that was an interesting school. Um, and I was, I, I won't tell you what I did with the kids, but they, they learned to respect me on their own level rather <laughs> than being a teacher because they didn't respect students. And I actually got an award at the end of the, the time I was there in the six weeks and the rest of the school teachers didn't, <laughs> couldn't believe it, could not believe it. <laughs> so that was one. Another one was um, a convent uh, in Wimble South Wimbledon. And that was... An eye-opener as well, because I could not believe how the nuns ran the school. <laughs> My goodness, talk about strict yeah. and uh, talk about uh, not being able to do anything. If a nun came down the corridor, you would the children would stop, you'd let the nun pass, and then they would walk on again. And you walked on the right corridor. Yeah. And, you know, this is when other schools were doing, like the other one I mentioned, just did, were doing what they liked. That was my type of school, by the way. Uh, I was I was uh, educated by the Christian Brothers, and that's exactly the way our school was, uh, and I can relate to that very quickly. Yeah, no, I, I, our school was very much like that. I went to Rutlish, uh, where John Major went to, and uh, I was a scholarship boy in a public school at the time. It changed to be a comprehensive in the end, but and I learned, I saw some dreadful things going on, but. In terms of discipline, it was incredible. You just learnt your place. You didn't cross the border. And if you crossed the line, you were punished for it. Yeah. And you accepted that. Um, there was no argument about it. But my last school, just to finish what I was saying, was Dulwich College Prep out in Dulwich. And Dulwich is one of, arguably one of the best public schools in the country. And I, I was teaching maths there. And one of my pupils was 13, and he used to leave the maths class uh, on a Tuesday afternoon and go up to, and the name slips me now, um, one of the science colleges in, in Imperial, Imperial University, because he'd done his degree, he'd done his uh, uh, thesis on um, a calculus program and he was studying some phenomenal mathematical equation at 13 he was chinese wow but uh, amazing absolutely amazing this, this kid's mind was was so far advanced um it was incredible so i had a brilliant brilliant teaching experience mm. but sadly when i finished and you'll uh, account to this i'm sure when i start went to apply for jobs they were offering between five thousand pounds a year, and that's how long. Oh, that's how old I am. Five thousand a year and five thousand five hundred a year. 
And I actually got a job with Tower Hamlets Council, believe it or not. I was living in Twickenham. I used to cycle up every day to Tower Hamlets Council. And I was an entertainment officer <laughs> for the council, which meant involved, involved putting on the, the York Hall events and the, the, the school holiday events and stuff like that. And, and I was paid double for, at that time for the same job that a teacher gets. And I don't think it's changed very much now, really, in terms of the, the, the money... Apart from headmasters, they seem to get quite a lot of money. But uh, it was amazing. It was a, a great time, great experience. And sadly, I only lasted in that job six months. <laughs> I didn't like it. Um, I wanted to be free. So I became a builder. And I became a builder because I'd worked in, in building sites since I was about 11 for pocket money. And all through my summer holidays, that's what I did. Or Easter holidays, if I had two or three weeks off, I'd go and work on a building site. And my father used to get me these jobs with these agents on the sites. And by the time I was 17, still at school doing it at the, for the holidays, the agents of the sites were bidding for me because in those days, you used to get a basic wage, you get a bonus, and then you, it was quite complicated how the system was built up. But I was earning more money as a student working on the building sites, <laughs> opening and closing the building sites, than I, uh, they, the actual people working on the building sites were. I, I was I was so, so lucky in, in everything that I did, really, when I was younger. Uh, there's a number of coincidences, again, cropping up. Uh, Tower Hamlets. When I went yeah. to uh, the College of St. Mark and St. John, um, yeah. I then had to do, um, I think it was a week only, but it was over at Tower Hamlets. So, of course, I didn't, I don't think I'd ever seen as many Bangladeshi people in oh, one my place. Goodness, I think you'd be more surprised now, Vince. Oh, dear. <laughs> I would be pretty sure. Um, and like yourself, I just kept, I kept moving from job to job because basically I just didn't see anything with anybody until I started um, my own. Uh, I didn't really even start as a total mobile disco, but it was part of that and then getting the the break to go and work with the bbc let me oh, uh, let me next that's great. well i was i mean you see i was in the right place at the right time because in 1969 we got the first bbc local radio station that was leicester i think 67 for that one um and then i got involved with radio merseyside by writing tons of mail eventually getting my own show on it uh, but um, the rest uh, doesn't concern what we're going to try and talk about today because um, from your entertainment, um, was it via the entertainment that you came out to Spain or how did the Spanish adventure begin? Ah, right. That is a, that is a slightly different story. I, I, it, my entertainment, I went from the... Uh, I always played in... When I was at university, I always played in the local wine bars because wine bars was the the the, the thing to do in those days back in the... Back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. And uh, we had a great couple in, in around Twickenham. And I used, to, I used to play in the wine bars and everybody else was spending their money and I was earning money at these, these wine bars. I, think it, I don't think it was very much. I think it was 15, 20 pounds for a two-hour session and, and a free meal. But yeah. of course, being a student, that was a bonus. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I was very lucky like that. And I bought my first really good i had an epiphone ft50 i think it was called or epiphone 150 or something like that nice guitar but i bought um a guild d25m 
uh, American built uh, and spent what was then a fortune on it um, because I believed that I was playing professionally. So I should have something that was reasonably good. And I, I don't know if you remember the old H&H uh, amplifier. I had H&H. &H. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. In Concentric speakers. Oh, my goodness me. That was the thing then. And it made it sound so broad, the sound that you, you, you played. And uh, I bought myself a set of those. But, of course, lugging them around was a bit of a, bit of a pain. But um, so I, di I did that. And then... I got into the building, the, the, the building because of this experience of building. I started. Somebody gave me a job. I was a, uh, at a squash club, playing squash, and uh, a guy said to me, a builder said to me, "Listen, I've got a big wall that needs pointing. Will you do it?" I said, uh, "Yeah, I, I can do that." Never having picked up and pointed anything ever, but I knew what it was. Anyway, I stuck stuck up on this scaffold for six weeks, pointing this huge wall. And I did it, and I earned myself some reasonable money doing it. And I thought, this, this, I enjoyed it. It was out in the open. It was fresh air. Okay, it was a bit windy, and, and it was England. It was a bit windy and wet some days, but it was absolutely made you feel alive. And I, for one, the first time, apart from being on stage, I think I felt reasonably alive. And so I, I decided that's what I was going to do. I bought an old van. I got myself a couple of jobs through people I knew, and that's how it started. And in the end, I had a company that was, I had 33 people working for me all through the book, so I wouldn't have any cash, cash uh, in hand people because it just wasn't worth it yeah. for me to, to think about it. I did my own books, so I'd finish work, I'd come home, I'd do the books and the invoices and everything. I had a system. I, I did my own system. I had a couple of foremen that used to look after the jobs for me uh, during the day. I'd meet everybody first thing in the morning at 7 o'clock, and we, I'd go over what we were doing. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. I didn't know how much stress it was. Um, I was playing squash for a, for a team at the time as well. And I was, of course, playing rugby Saturdays and training twice a week. So my life was completely full. Okay. Um, that sounds... Completely full. Matt, that sounds so similar to my life um, that really, um, you know, I, I, as I say, so many coincidences. Right. So where did the journey to Spain come from? Right. I was really ill. I had got ulcers in my stomach and I collapsed and I was really ill. And the doctor said to me, if you don't stop work, I was 40, 39 and a half, 40. If you don't stop the work like you're working, you've got two years and we guarantee you will be dead. And I think laying in a hospital bed at Westmead Hospital, which you'll probably know as well, uh, I was, I, was, I thought to myself, this is, this is, this is a warning. This is a real, you know, pull yourself together time to think about what you're actually up to. And so I, I went to my account, I went to my accountant and he said, listen, he said, because we'd had a bad time in the 80s, I have to just explain this in the 90s with the recession, I didn't want to lose the guys that were working for me. So I stretched my own finances as much as I possibly could. And I borrowed money to buy houses. It wasn't a great time to borrow money. But I bought old houses. I did some up. I sold some, but I kept some. And he said to me, listen, you have enough property to be able to not to have to go to work. And I said, what, forever? And he said, if you're careful, if you don't overspend your money, if you don't go crazy, you've got a good package here. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can do this. So I thought about it. And within 
three or four months, I'd sold the business. I'd uh, got rid of all the responsibilities. I still, I had a gas um, license, so I was doing a little bit of gas work um, for the certificate, for, for gas installations and things like that. And then I came over to Spain and I drove an old friend of mine who sadly was on her last legs from cancer. Oh. She was the manager of the squash club that I worked at. And I drove her. She wanted to go on a sort of last holiday. She knew it was going to be her last holiday and nobody would take the responsibility of uh, take it, bringing her over. So I said, OK, no worries. Come on, Maddie, get in the car. We'll, we'll drive down there and we'll, we'll, we'll go along. I'm thinking of moving. I've got to get out of England. England, for me, the things were changing. I could see the horizon shifting, um, sadly, to what it is now. And I wanted to be out. What year would you put on that? That was ni- That was 2000, the year 2000. Now, you, again, you see, talk about uh, coincidences. That was my uh, pivotal moment. That was when I saw the same thing and I had to come away. So Really? Yeah, this is amazing. You see, we're both teachers. We've both been through a process which might have had overlapping types of lectures. Certainly, you know, my uh, way of teaching was certainly not quite the way that you'd probably um, expect um, to find because I went from uh, being a business manager. I went down and I became a teacher after doing a late degree. Uh, Mm -hmm. Started in FE, realised all the problems were bad in FE uh, so I then went and retrained and did some um, secondary modern uh, supply teaching and then realized the problems are still not being addressed and I went down to the primary schools and it was when the primary schools had uh, kids aged 10 and 11 ru- running the classroom and that teachers couldn't cope uh, I thought right I think I'll go and see what's happening on the, kit- uh, the continent so I actually came out here uh, I didn't come out really wanting to get involved in entertainment the radio station sort of fell in my lap and it was almost like that was meant to be Um, absolutely you know so um that that again is a huge sort of coincidence that you were feeling the same there was definitely a mood of change oh it was it was vince it it was and again it was year 2000 1999 2000 and i i had a a little bit of a sad story i just got married uh to this young lady who actually only married me really for what i was financially worth and i didn't know that at the time obviously and we were only together 18 months but i said to her i want to move here um, at the time, I had a couple of other properties in Canada as well. But I sort of invested money wherever I could, all, all with mortgages. But I, I, I could see where things were going to get better. Yeah. So I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to move to Canada or to come here. But anyway, so I, I sort of invested there. And this young lady uh, upped and left me um, when I went abroad to buy these houses in uh, Canada. And so, and actually, it was a godsend in a way. So things sort of. You know, have a funny way, if you're like us, that they they start as a negative but turn around as a positive. And I think you have to look at life like that anyway. Yeah. But this really did happen to me. So it, I, when I was with with Maddie driving up and down, we 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 uh, we didn't drive over. I think I said that before. We actually picked up a um, a car in Malaga, and we drove all the way up to Barcelona, and then we came back from Barcelona back down. And every time. We passed Altea. It was like I was drawn. There was a magical 
force. Okay, I, I know I'm a bit dramatic, but there was a definite force for me. No, I feel the same. I feel exactly the same. I, I, I would tell anybody I felt that I was destined to be here. Um, and that's exactly the same as our call this morning. I feel that it's time was right to to be in touch with you. Um, I just feel there are so many things that you're saying that uh, are very similar to my own feelings. Um, that, that I want to I want to just push it a little bit to another direction because okay, uh, you, you did have a, a a very nasty accident. Uh, well, it was an illness, wasn't it? Really, can can you tell me a little bit about that? What the when I, when I lost my memory? Yes, yes. Well, I being a rugby player and a skier, I've had I think now sixty one operations altogether, uh, general anaesthetics mm. for different removals of different bits and pieces and and different things. And I have I have uh, six titanium screws and two rods in my lower spine uh, that were put there seven years ago, eight years ago, uh, just to hold my support me. Um, I I then had a metal shoulder, one shoulder replaced. Um, and sadly, in the second operation of the of the shoulder, of my second shoulder, uh, replacing it with a, a titanium one, um, I had a stroke. I, I had a TI, what's called a TIA. And um, it, I, I died, but they brought me back pretty quickly. It stopped, it stopped the blood to my brain right. and um, in surgery. And when I came out of surgery, um, I was a long time down there because of what had happened. And my wife, Becky, now, she was waiting for, for me. And she'd ask the doctors, where was I? Where was I? What was happening? And um, they simply just said to her, oh, he's, he's just taking the time to recover. They didn't say anything about the TIA. And she just had her hip replaced. And we'd just done a show. You know, I do these Broadway shows, or we did. Yeah. We used to do these big pantomimes. Um, and we'd just done a show. And she couldn't be in it because, or do very much with it because she had her hip replaced. And she walked in the door and she said, and I said to her, Becky, what on earth have you done to your hip? And she said, you're joking. You're joking, aren't you? She said, you know, I've had a hip replacement. I, I went, when? What, what, did you have an accident? I really had no idea. So she realized from that minute that something was wrong. But it wasn't until about six days later, I was still in hospital, and I should have been out straight away, that, um, that I'd had this stroke. Um, and it was, for me, it's been a really de debilitating time because I, I wouldn't say I was the cleverest person in the tree, but I, I actually, you know, was a pretty clever guy. And um, I was, I'd forgotten everything. I mean, everything. I wasn't allowed out of the house for three months uh, on my own. Uh, driving, I couldn't drive because I simply couldn't remember how to get home. Wow. And it seems such a bizarre thing when you're sort of in your mid-50s that you now cannot remember anything about even getting home. If I went to the shops, if I didn't have a list, I couldn't remember what to buy. Sadly, I still do that now. I have to write. My phone is my my Bible. I can't go anywhere without my phone. And I, if I know I've got something to do, I panic because I know I have to do that and I have to keep checking my phone. So my life has changed quite a lot like that. But there's always every cloud has a silver lining, as they say. And so I think even the fact that I'm here now talking to you and doing this podcast 
in a way, is about is something to do goes back to having those those times, those times in in Spain here, and and the changes in my life and attitude. And as you know, I write quite a lot on Facebook <laughs> yes. for a page. Um, and I try to be as philosophical about things nowadays as I possibly can. What but year? What year was the was the stroke? The stroke was five years ago, so it would be. 17, I think, 2017. Mm, okay, so that was after we'd worked on the radio station, wasn't it? Oh, yes, yes. No, I, I, my memory is, is like photographs. So I, I, can, I can see you now in the studio quite clearly, but I can't remember what came before or afterwards or what was talked about or, or anything, but I can see a photo of you sitting smiling behind... <laughs> production desk right and of course i i have a picture of uh funny enough bob hodge uh then we had rue slater as a guest coming in uh with his wife brenda and then in the background you're actually on air so i still have uh, uh you know i i have uh good, good good memories of certain things but what i've been well, trying it was, good, it was a good time and it was a it was a good station until you know it just all went a bit funny here didn't it really it did um look what i've been trying to establish for our listener is um credentials of why uh, we should make something like this because there are so many people just putting anything up on the internet that what I try to do is I try to find truthful people who will tell me what they think about something. They don't have to agree or disagree necessarily, um, but I, I want to know what they think about things because I think, for example, if uh, somebody uh, writes on Facebook they don't really realise. They send information to lots of people that either you're educated you're not, or you're not well educated. Or sometimes you can read between the lines and see that you've not been educated in a formal sense, but you talk a lot of sense in things that you write in maybe something that uh, unfortunately doesn't look good to somebody who does know English writing and how it should be written. So, yes, I know, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, so I, I want to come next to a couple of more serious things. Uh, not that anything that we've talked about before is he ever less serious, and especially health matters. Um, but it's in the light of what we're going through at the moment because I value people's opinions. And I, as I say, I was drawn to what you were writing. Now, first and foremost, um, when we came, for example, well, let me ask you, do you have a political affinity I, I, I never did have. Okay. I never did have. Um, yeah, I, I suppose, truthfully and honestly, I didn't have time to be have any thoughts of politics or political parties. My father was always a conservative and voted conservative. Or I'd say he was conservative. We lived in a in a, in a Tory sort of area. Um, he, I'm pretty sure he never told me directly what he voted for but i'm pretty sure he voted uh, for conservatism so i suppose i followed the conservative and i did see some things like the minor strikes and whilst i felt really sorry for the miners when it was i can't remember the year because of my brain but I, I don't know when it was but when i saw the miners the actual miners struggling and then i i being somebody who was educated and could read, I read up about Scargill and what was happening and how much he was worth and what he was actually driving and doing. As is with a lot of these situations, I sort of 
sort of fell away a little bit from Labour because it didn't seem to agree with the policies of what they were doing. So I did vote Conservative up, up to, up to, I suppose, until I couldn't, well, I've been here for a long time now, so I couldn't vote anyway. Yeah. But the, the desperate situation that the, that the UK seems to find itself in now, the whole world suffered from uh, the, the terrible um, COVID. So yeah. it, it, it's, you just can't sort of say one is worse than the other or everybody was the same with that one. Well, what so I was re- trying to do, uh, Matt, really, I wanted to make sure our listeners knew that either you or myself were a type of person you know because people are getting labels over everything i will declare that i don't have a political affinity like yourself my parents probably lived in a nicer area which was probably a tory area um so uh, those were influences but nada mas nada menos nothing more or less yeah Yeah. no i i completely agree with you that was and and it's been my opinion as well as as a an adult and as a as a business owner, uh, an entrepreneur, if you want to call it that, but I, I haven't had a political opinion, but I cannot at the moment understand what is going on, to be honest. So I've sort of had to have and find and read more and more about what is going on. So in a sense, in a sense, because I, I'm having to read more about what's going to see what's going on, I have become a bit political if you like and what what i don't i don't believe in any one party i can't see anybody actually doing any good but then what is the alternative well look this is exactly why i i need to speak to people like yourself who basically aren't coming in as boris fans or um you know akia starmer fans or whatever um it just doesn't seem that anything's making sense anymore when we look at the miners strike which i think was 1973 or 74 i think you're right it was around then anyway yeah uh, you see i was also a very much uh, educated into thinking during uh, when I was at the college between 83 and 86 uh, into thinking that it was the uh, Conservatives way of uh, putting the miners union in its place uh, I actually met Arthur Scoggle on a train and sat next to him but we didn't talk any politics um, but having said what I just said it does seem to me that when I then did a podcast with um, uh, another of my collaborators and we looked at the nuances of the electric car which has been around since centuries uh, they were being maybe put into situations where this fossil fuel etc was beginning to become something of an issue and it's all about the money all the time anyway by the looks of things Uh, but I tell you what I did find last night there's a website which actually funds these Just Stop Oil people. Um, uh, I think it's called the Emergency Earth Fund or something like that. Uh, And people can go onto the site and apply for um, grants. And one of the stipulations is that you must be prepared to create mayhem, create, you know, all sorts of problems for other people. And that isn't policed. Surely, that I mean, surely that is that is tantamount to to riot, to riot, to to trying to incite riot, and and unfortunately, Vince, you go anywhere on any 
any site, whether it's Facebook, whether it is Instagram, whether it is whatever, there, there are these people being allowed to incite problems. We call them problems, but it's in every single case, it, everywhere. And, and there's, there's no control. Well, I, I can make a link because I do feel this is a big jigsaw puzzle. It's not one answer. There's lots no, of little absolutely. pieces. Um, you know, one part of the jigsaw puzzle is when I was teaching as a supply teacher, I could see then that the kids were going out of control. I could see the power of the media. I'm a media follower. Uh, I look for things that are taking us into a direction which, whether we like it or not, is manipulating the way people are behaving and thinking. Um, I, I do feel that there's a lot more to all of this. And I remember when I went to college in 1983, the first, practically the first thing I did was read the Communist Party Manifesto, which sounds as boring as hell. Uh, but in the light of what you've just seen with China and its leader, um, this might make a bit of sense because the, the way that I read it was uh, if you want to defeat capitalism, then you have to defeat the family. Now, I think we've seen the family has been under constant uh, attack for many, many years. And if Karl Marx and Engels wrote that in 1848, I think they've found a way to start putting this into practice. And I think this is part of this immense jigsaw puzzle that I see. Now, when I say that, does that sort of ring any bells or does it shock you? No, I, I, I have to admit that that is probably the soundest argument I've I've heard for what is actually going on at the moment. It doesn't make me. Uh, I I don't. As you're saying it, it gives me a little bit of despair because I don't know how you how you fight that now or how you stop that happening. But I believe that you're absolutely correct. That is what is happening, and that is what what is going on in the world, not just. In England, not just in America, not just in in, in Asia and parts of Asia, and the, and for me, one of the the spookiest things is that China is making no noise whatsoever. Yes, absolutely. And again, I was looking last night, um, you know, because I'm always looking for good good information and correct information and, and nice I, information sometimes. Yeah, well, I mean, I was I was basically looking at the the Taiwan situation where we've got most oh. of the chips which go into practically everything in our lives at the moment. And I was also reading that Costa Rica is probably going to be a very integral part of the future because uh, they are, uh, they've been targeted by a, a Joe Biden agreement um, to produce more and more of these uh, nano, tiny chips with much power. Very... I, didn't know, I didn't know that, but, but I certainly know about Taiwan. Yeah, I mean that that's 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 scary. That is scary because China. I believe that China is when everything else is kicking off and they're worried about Putin around the world and the oil supplies and everything. The concentration is there, but there. If you read the papers and the information that comes from China to Taiwan and about that area, it's frightening. Yeah, 
I think so. And I think that, uh, as I say, I wanted to really make sure that everybody listening to our podcast had an idea of two people who have qualified as teachers, try to leave, you know, good lives, try to educate people in a way that uh, is very, very important. I think the whole emphasis now has been on trying to undermine a way of life that had been developed. Now, there were lots of problems. I, I'm totally uh, aware that, you you know, some of the things that uh, had been wrong, especially the way maybe uh, black people had been treated by certain parts of society, not by everybody. Um, but I mean, now, for example, when you look into Sky Sports and you find that Sky Sports is now politically and economically in bed with Black Lives Matter through, I think it's called XCOM, the company, Um, then you can see that certain things are also being very, very heavily manipulated. And I would look at football as a good example of this uh, for the fact that, um, you know, for example, in America, ladies' football is paramount. The, the men's football doesn't really exist. And here we are, suddenly, uh, ladies' football is the most important thing on the British. Uh, f- it seems to be always to the front as one of the major importance. Uh, you know, then these uh, all these people are trying to tell us that the planet needs to be saved, fossil fuel and all those arguments. But then they take the World Cup to Qatar and the the same people who basically are telling us that we should all be walking round are quite happy to drive round in four by fours and and, and stacks of them. Gas, yeah. So uh, the, the whole the, the Vince, the the list is endless. Really, it is endless, and I think to a certain degree it becomes so big, the whole problem is so large that it's almost like space. If it stops, what's on the other side? It just carries on. Um, and, I, and I believe you're exactly right. It's, it's been perpetrated, this, this idealism that we do have now, through, um, and football's a great, like you say, is a great carrier for it, whether it's Black Lives Matter or whether it's, it's the pay, payment scales or, or who's playing for who and which country is this. And it's, it's crazy. I don't watch football. I have no idea about football. I know it's a round ball, <laughs> but I was actually brought up with the, the proper shaped ball. Yeah. The one that's sort of well, elongated. You, you're speaking to a rugby player, so I, I <laughs> oh, uh, we're okay. <laughs> Listen, another thing you see, uh, because of obviously the the Catholic faith, because of the fact that as a kid you tend not to be particularly wanted to be going to church too much. I came back to the church um, because of the things we have going on, uh, like, for example, the number of appearances that are that have been claimed uh, for the likes of Medjugorje in the Ukraine. Plus, we have places up in the north of Spain that I have been to. Umbe is one, uh, and uh, Garabandel is another one that I've got to go to. You see, I feel there is some sort of influence i'm not going to say anything other than influence uh, that yeah, I, I i can't I, explain i'm a very religious person i don't follow a religion so there's a bit of a um I, I studied religion a lot when i was younger i was in the church i was on the time with godspell you remember godspell yes the, i do uh, the musical and um Jesus Christ Superstar, yes. and I've been a musician and loving music. They, I was drawn to them, and I was drawn to the Methodist Church, and uh, I became a Methodist. And 
uh, when you become a member, it's supposed to be one of the most joyous, wonderful experiences in your life. And I, I, on that day, I don't know why, and this is maybe talk for another time, but I didn't, I, I turned away from the, the Methodist Church on the day I actually became a member because, as the Bible says, my eyes were opened and I could see so much hypocrisy going in the church, which I hadn't seen before. Why? I don't know. But I try and live my life as a Christian. Um, I used to go to the, the, the church. I wasn't a Catholic, but I, I used to go and sit up and listen to the Mass. And I was really lucky that a, the father there that used to do it was a guy called Perry Gilday. I believe he's still alive. I don't know, but he he was amazing at trying to explain to me the, um, the the beliefs of the Catholic Church, the changing the blood uh, into to the wine into blood and the the body of Christ. Yeah. And it was really he was he was superlative in doing it. But I think that people must come back to the goodness, the good side of the church and its faith and its beliefs, because that's all that's left. If you take away all this other stuff that's going on at the moment, the church has a basis and a, stro- a strong, strong way forward in, in, in its teachings and, it, and its ways. I, I'm, I mean, for I, me, I, that's it. That's it. I'm so, um, shall we say, flabbergasted by some of our coincidences. And this is another one because I hadn't known that side of you. Um, You probably might not have known this side of me. I tend to be quite private about things that I believe in, but I'm very happy to talk with people when, you know, things need to be discussed. I actually think that it's more important for everybody to believe in something. Um, Absolutely. As long as it's not harmful to them. Exactly. Yeah. As I, long as it's not drugs and it's not alcohol or cigarettes or that's my belief. But other people, you know, some some need them. And I, I accept that it's impossible for them to give give them up. But in my book, I try and lead a cleaner life as possible and lead from the front rather than being you know, somebody who just criticises. Well, funny enough, when Anne and I went to Australia, this was 2013, which would have been after, I think, the time that we were at the radio station together. Yeah. Um, we stopped I off th- at... I think you remember that, you going, actually, I think. Mm. Well, we stopped off at uh, Singapore, and uh, basically, because we had two or three days, we went round all the Buddhist temples. Oh, lovely. Which was just an experience in itself that, you know, brought a great deal of uh, happiness to both Anna and myself and so really you know this sort of opened my mind to an idea which is basically I know the Catholic Church is universal but I don't believe for a minute that if the the, the God that I believe in um, you, you know uh, it never reached the person in the other half of the globe that I don't know enough about um, then basically uh, I don't think he'd turn away any good person who was trying to do nice things in a nice way just because the label on maybe the front of the church might look a bit different. I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I, I've got nothing to add to that really in a way. that It's just you cannot, you cannot believe in God or, I mean, I say God because I do believe in God. I do believe there is a much higher power than we can we possibly know um or aware of i think we've lost our way a little bit and i do feel and this this might be a little bit controversial that the church hasn't helped 
in that the church, the bodies, the bodies of the church ha- haven't helped to lose people from from what I can see. They, they've not been as modern as they could be. They've not been up to date with people's problems, the crisis. And I think that has been a major issue in in people moving away from the the good of the church mm. and not taking notice of it and not listening to it. But but I, I completely agree with you on the on the church. Well, I think um, you see that there are lots of things that we can't do in in an hour. But you know, um, there are so many things that we don't understand. But I do think to be able to get to a point where people. A, can't go to church, or B, have to wear a mask inside a church was very comprehensively thought out. I think that was well, well and truly thought about. And then I do follow a couple of theologians. One is on YouTube and one is uh, actually a priest. Uh, The other one is very critical of the Pope. But it's done in such a way as it it provokes thinking, not particularly having to agree or disagree, but provokes. I mean, for example, I don't understand how we've got two popes at the moment. It just is a, a, a rather unique and bizarre situation. And I don't think we really ever knew enough about it. And I still don't think that enough people do understand it. Um, and you know, that may be why there are two popes. Yes, good. Because the powers that be have decided that this will happen. There won't be an argument or a, a stipulation about it because people won't argue because we're, we are telling you that this is what is going to happen. Yeah. I, I deliberately have not gone to uh, Ukraine. I'll just flex uh, uh, our, uh, our ideas on, on the likes of Brexit. Um, do you have strong views on whether it was a good decision or the, shall I say, the right decision? I know there's pain at the moment. I, I believe that it was completely the wrong decision. That is my stance. I, 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 I've looked at it. I, I feel it financially. Uh, I feel it, the freedom of movement changed so much. I, I can't help but feel s- sadness for the people that were misled into voting for Brexit. Um, it's my opinion, as you've just rightly said, it, 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 this is only my opinion. And, I'm, and I've spoken to many people who, who think it's the, it's the best thing since sliced bread. But actually, when you ask them to say why it's the best thing that's sliced bread, the fact that they can't be buying sliced bread in the supermarket doesn't help them at their argument at all mm-hmm. in some supermarkets. Um, I just think it's a terrible, terrible shame to have got so far down the road with Europe. Okay, it had its issues. It had its problems. England didn't get everything it wanted from from the the, uh, common market and from uh, being part of the the, the, uh, common market. They didn't get everything, but then I'm sure the other countries don't get everything either. I've got one idea. I've got one idea to put to you because I I was saddened. I I came out to be European. I came out to to try and find out more about living as as somebody that uh, speaks one language and lived in a culture to come and study another. Really, that's what a lot of my life is about. And the one thing that did worry uh, in the way that we talk about worry is that. The, uh, you, uh, the the Treaty of Lisbon was coming up and I didn't hear any very, very deep debate about which 
pay people would be in charge of the nuclear weapons, remembering that there was one in France and there's one in the UK. Yeah. I never heard any discussion about that. Who would have the finger on the pulse? And, you know, I, I can't recall anything either. Either, And, in fact, I don't actually know who has got their finger on the, on the button mm. now anyway. Yeah, well... And it, with, uh, with, uh, with what's going on in Russia and Ukraine... I think it would be an uh, an awfully, and especially with the sounds that are coming out. I mean, who who knows what the madman would do? Because he is a madman. I have never, I don't think history has seen many people like that until you go way, way, way back to the beginning of time. But he is, he doesn't seem to care for his people. He doesn't seem to care for who and what he destroys. He he just wants to, seems to want to put his, name on the world for good bad or indifferent i think it's not for good it's just horrendous i think you've hit the nail on the head you see that is where the problem lies according to what i've read and maybe some of the the predictions have been saying apparently russia uh, and ukraine have this great war and then we all suffer and then eventually uh, russia comes back to um the virgin mary apparently that's what i've read god knows only what really is ordained uh, but all i do know is that as we look out into the skies and beyond it's far beyond the likes of my brain to even get near really understanding what is happening and when well, i think that's, that's yeah, exactly what i said earlier with space your mind cannot conceive what what's if space finished what is on the other side it's immeasurable our minds cannot get round this phen phenomenon that is happening you know we're with i think i worked it out we're about three and a half thousand kilometers here in spain where we we live from ukraine and the borders and the and the fighting that's not very far in terms of nuclear missiles and and bombs and planes and you know, it's very, very close. And, and we're all sitting on it. Yeah. I don't want to be a scaremonger, and I don't, I'm trying, you know, it's my feelings. It's not my, you know, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying anything like that to, to your listeners. But it's, uh, it, I... it is worrying. It's got to be worrying. And if we weren't worried, I think we'd be foolish. I, I totally agree with you. I think the whole point is that, you see, while people are being... Uh, shall we say, uh, herded round the TV sets watching the World Cup and various other football games. Uh, it does seem an awful lot of a coincidence that we've got the Rugby League World Cup, we've got the Rugby Union World Cup, we've got the Football World Cup all coming on at the same time. So a lot of people will be focused on their television sets. And, you and know, not what's going on elsewhere, yeah. 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 Oh, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Matt, I'm going to um I'm going to ask you if you'd be kind enough to stay on the line. Um I'll just finish this off by saying it's been a real pleasure having a chat, a serious chat about serious issues and finding out more about you. So, um Matt, if you stay on the line, I'll be with you in 2 seconds. Well, you're very welcome, Vince. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks, Matt. She kisses